This message is brought to you by Living Faith Church. You can find us on the web at livingbyfaith.com. I want you to open your Bibles to Luke chapter 22. And I'm going to start reading from verse 19. And when he had taken some bread and given thanks in advance for what was to come, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup after he had eaten, saying, This cup which is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. Sarah and I had an opportunity to go away for a little while. And so we were on our way back. Excuse me. Let me have one big cough and then we'll move on. Can we do that? Okay. All is clear. And we're on our way back, and we were busy flying, and I was busy thinking about this, and this was kind of mulling around in me, and I was thinking about Thanksgiving and what Thanksgiving was all about and where we are and what's happening and the status quo of the nation. And, and so this is very much was the inception and, and the idea behind what we're going to speak about today. Before we get into things, what I do want to say to you is this. I think that we need to approach the subject from a position of maturity, which is everybody here, right? Now you're all nervous, right? The minute you start off that way, everybody's like, what's that all about? That sounds loaded. It's not loaded. But what I can say to you is this. I think there's some place for us to grow up as the body of Christ. The problem with the body of Christ is that we have too too many elements of immaturity, too much fragmentation. We don't have enough word. We don't have enough grounding. We're not rooted in enough truth. And the problem with it is we can't afford to be at that place at this particular time in our nation's history. There is too much going on and there's too much at stake. Before we get into things, what I would like to implore you to do is this. Recognize the fact that as a born-again believer, you're a kingdom citizen. Both of us are. You're a kingdom citizen. This isn't the tricky part. It's okay here. I'll let you know when it gets tricky. You're a kingdom citizen. Do you know what a kingdom citizen means? A kingdom citizen means that you have the life of God on the inside of you. And as such, we're supposed to celebrate it. There are a couple of sacred cows that I just want to sacrifice right at the beginning. So that once we get into things, we have a good, clear disposition and view of how we're going. Is that okay? Number one, I have got a problem with the fact that the church is too segregated. I'm tired of having black churches and white churches and Hispanic churches and and Asian churches and every other church. We are not called to be segregated. We are called to be the body. Don't come and tell me about the fact that, you know, it's just culturally appropriate. What culture? If you default to your natural natural culture, you're being natural again. You're no different to the world. You were called to be a kingdom citizen. As a kingdom citizen, you don't look at a person and sit and say, I see the color of your skin. I recognize your gender. I can see your history and where you come from. You look at the life that's on the inside of them and you celebrate that together. It's not about color. It's not about race. It's not about gender. It's not about history. It's not about culture. It's about the kingdom. That's where the church has to mature to. We have too much segregation in the church. We want to talk and we want to criticize the world, but we're not any better. Just saying. Yeah, okay, I'm glad you said that because now the preaching starts. (laughs) This is the big one. Take a deep breath because I promise you it's true. 
You are not a Republican and you are not a Democrat. You are a kingdom citizen. As such, uh, we have a responsibility to view the disposition of the nation and where we stand politically from a spiritual point of view. We have got enough fragmentation out in the world. We have enough polarization out in the world. As the kingdom of God, we are called to have influence in that space. And our influence is compromised when we move to a position where we start taking sides naturally. We are not a natural people. We are a spiritual people. As a spiritual people, our responsibility is to understand, as citizens of the kingdom, what is truth and to live from that place. We have a responsibility not to only get established in truth, but to take that truth and use that truth as an agent for influence in the world in which we find ourselves. We are not here to espouse the doctrines of any political party. You are not here for that. And if, you, if you're in that place, the problem with it is you're just at a point where you still as like the world. We need to get up. We need to get out. We need to go further with things. Okay? I'm going somewhere with this because the problem with it is we have a church that needs to get on the move. But we need to know what we're supposed to do. Jesus took the bread and Jesus took the wine and he gave thanks. There are some basic principles which are associated with growth which have to do with the evolution of things, which have to do with new birth. And what is, there are three key things, and all of them are time-related. It has to do with our history and our past. What are you letting go of? What forms part of where you used to be, and what constitutes your history? It embraces the current. What is the status quo? Where do I find myself right now? What forms the foundation of that? What infuses and forms the, the very ethos and the culture and, and the, the, the character, the nature of where I am right now? It's important because that is going to start to inform who I am and it's going to start, start to inform what I'm able to produce and deliver. And it starts to define what your future is going to look like. Jesus is sitting there and he takes the bread and he takes the wine and he gives thanks. Why? Because he's sitting and he's looking at a situation and he recognizes that nobody else sitting at that table right at that point has any recognition as to what's truly going on. Jesus is looking at it and he's sitting saying, you know what? I see a new dawn coming. I see a new time coming in your future. Where everything is going to be passed away and all things are going to become brand new. You don't recognize it yet. You don't see it. But I'm speaking to you about the elements. I'm speaking to you. I'm prophesying to you about what the sacrifice is going to have to be in order for you to walk into newness. In order for you to walk into newness of life. And they're just sitting around the table saying, okay, he's on one of his plucks again. Can somebody please give us a definition and an understanding as to what's going on? They only had the revelation in retrospect. He got excited. Jesus got excited and he was giving thanks. He was prophesying. He was realizing, you know what? This sacrifice is going to open an opportunity for all of you to let go of everything that bound you and to step into newness and a whole new way of living. That's what he was excited about. That's what he was giving thanks for. It's the power of the blood and the broken body. That introduced a revolution. 
It introduced a spiritual revolution. All of a sudden, I was no longer bound by sin. All of a sudden, I had the opportunity to move to a place where Jesus paid the price for my sins and I could move into forgiveness and I could move into righteousness. I moved into a brand new space from where I used to be. I moved into a brand new dimension. All things have passed away and I've become a brand new creation. I've become a person who is righteous in God's sight. All of a sudden, the body was broken so that I could move into wholeness and I could move to a place of divine life and health. And I was there sitting in a new space once again where I'm starting to give definition to this and I'm starting to understand what does it mean because everything has passed away and I've become brand new. All of a sudden, I've become a creation. I've become a citizen of something called the kingdom of God. And so I'm grounded and I'm rooted in a constitution called grace. And the undergirding, Foundation to everything is truth. It's important that I understand that because when I understand what my foundation is, when I understand what my constitution is, it's going to define what my future is going to look like. It's, des- it's designed to inform who I am and who I'm becoming. It's designed to have an impact and an influence in the way that I live my life and the way that I bear fruit. One of the most wonderful things is that Jesus introduces us to the truth that who you were should never become a stumbling block to who he called you to be. Who you were is passed away. That's what Jesus gave thanks for because all things became brand new and you could start to live a different life. You know, the Christian life is reserved for the free and the brave. The Christian life is reserved for the free and the brave. I used to be bound by sin, but now I'm free. I used to be a person that had no options available to me. But God has created life and the opportunity to step into be what it is to be an overcomer and more than a conqueror. My life has changed. My life has become brand new. But it's dependent on the brave. Because everything that you've done and the way that you've lived has created a comfort factor for you. And you live in that space and you're comfortable in that space. And God says, but I need for you to be brave. I want for you to be a pioneer. I want for you to be somebody who embraces the opportunities that I've provided for them. And step out in newness and do something different. Your emotions are going to scream at you and you might feel uncomfortable. But I want you to know something. He's calling you to expansion. It's for the brave. It was about 400 years ago. And there were a group of people sitting in Europe. They left England because they didn't want to fall under the Church of England. And they didn't want that kind of influence in their lives. They wanted the freedom. They wanted to have religious freedom. And so they moved out. The problem with it is, although they moved out from under the umbrella of the, the, the religious constraints, they still moved into a culture that was very much defi- defined by European culture. It never had a, a, an economic freedom. It never had a social strata that liberated people. It didn't put them at the place that they wanted to be. And so they started to dream. And they started to think about what life could be if we were to take those core ideas, those fundamental beliefs, those things that defined who we were. And what if we were to take those things and we were to use them to birth a nation? 
What if we could take those things that were so fundamental and so important to us, those things that defined my life and my identity and my relationship with God, and I was to use those things to start to define a nation where its very foundation and its pillars were established on spiritual truth. Something that could liberate us and free us and move us to the place that we want to be. A place where we could experience and live out of our spiritual freedom and that goal that God has called us to be. Historians look back on it and they sit and say, no, they weren't looking for uh, religious freedom. Because you see, there was the Church of England and they never came over here and established the Church of America. They're looking at it from an institutional point of view. What they didn't understand and what they seemed to miss is the foundational principles, those things that were alive in people's hearts, that motivated who they were and established their identity. Those things that defined what drove their life and what their future was going to look like. It was truth. These were not bishops. These weren't pastors. They never had any religious label to them. These were everyday people. These were shopkeepers. And teachers, shoemakers, everyday people who said, you know what? We just want to live an everyday life, but we'd like to live it in an environment that is informed by truth. And so they took a voyage over to the Americas. Despite what people might tell you, if you have a look at the thoughts and the ideas of those early settlers and those early pioneers during that time and shortly afterwards, it gives us a very clear idea and, and a, a conviction of the fact that their motivation was absolutely um, spiritually motivated. If you have a look at like the Mayflower Compact, which was a written agreement which was put together by the new settlers, it says, having undertaken for the glory of God, And the advancement of the Christian faith. Not the Christian church. The Christian faith. And the honor of our king and country. That was a little, caused a little bit of an issue later. A voyage to plant the first colony in the northern parts of Virginia. What is it saying? We know who we are and we know who we're all about. And we're on a voyage because that's motivating us and taking us somewhere. And we're going to let go of where we were and we're going to form something new. And what's going to inform that is going to be truth. The foundation of that is going to be truth. And it's going to be something that, uh, that starts to define every aspect of what that new plantation is going to be about. Patrick Henry, he was a five five times governor of Virginia. He says, amongst other strange things said of me, I hear it said by the deists that I am one of their number. And indeed that some good people think I am no Christian. This thought gives me much more pain than the appellation of Tory. Because I think religion infinitely higher important, more important than politics. And I find much cause to reproach myself that I have lived so long and have given no decided and public proofs of my being a Christian. But indeed, my dear child, this is a character which I prize far above all the world has or can boast. Thomas Jefferson is the third president. And he says, I have little doubt that the whole country will soon be rallied to the unity of our creator. And I hope to the pure doctrines of Jesus also. Don't tell me it wasn't something that drove 
newness. After they arrived here, they had been here for a period of time, and they drew up something called the Declaration of Independence. Do you know what the Declaration of Independence was? It was an apology for a revolt. It was an apology to sit and say, you know what? We made a mistake. What we did was we brought part of our baggage with us. Everything that we wanted to leave behind, we made one mistake. We brought a bit of baggage, but we don't want that baggage here anymore because we're very clear as to what needs to define who we are and what our future needs to be. We are the people and we have been given certain inalienable rights by God, by our creator, amongst which are rights to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. What it was saying was, we can't have those things where we were. And so we don't want it. So we're going to have a rebellion. It was a rebellion to let go of everything that was, so that I could introduce everything that was to come. The Declaration of Independence informed what the new country was to be like. The Declaration of Independence justified a revolt and a rebellion. But the Constitution put in place a stable government. You see, the Constitution was based on the Declaration of Independence. It said, we understand why you want to be independent. We understand what you're looking for. And as a result of that, what we're going to do is we're going to put together a Constitution that supports that. This country was built and established on fundamental truths. The very foundation of this country is built on truth. And the thing about a a foundation that's built on truth is whether you recognize it or not, you get to bear the, the benefits of it. The thing about it was, what was so wonderful is that people had an understanding that if they took the word of God and they established their life on the word of God, they would be building their life on a rock. And they thought, what would happen? What if we were to do an experiment? What if we were to actually branch out? And I wonder if we could do something and build a nation on the same idea. What if we were to build a nation on the idea that the foundation and the structure to who we were was established in truth? And they did it. People are praying for their big toe to be healed. These people birthed a nation. We need to be big and expansive in the way that we think. It was a foundation that informed every part of society. It was a foundation that sat and said, you know what? I'm going to introduce something called the free market. You know what the free market is all about? The free market sits and says, we recognize that God created you in the way that he he did. He's given you talents. He's given you giftings. He's given you abilities. He's given you everything that you need to make your life. So what we're going to do is we're going to create a platform for you to express yourself on. And as a result of you expressing that gift, what's going to end up happening is you're going to receive rewards for that. And you get to enjoy the benefits of your labor. 
It bred something called innovation. It bred creativity. It bred entrepreneurship. It bred a whole bunch of things that sat and said, you know what, I can do some stuff that I've never had the opportunity and the ability to be able to do before. Because it was a whole part of the, of the culture, uh, the economic set that was built on truth. They wanted truth interwoven into each part of society. And they wanted it woven in, into our social structure. They wanted to be a part of, of everything. And so every time we have a look at something like the flag, every time you get up and you say the Pledge of Allegiance, I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States and to the republic for which it stands. One nation under God. Why? Because every time you see that flag and every time you see, uh, you stand up and say the Pledge of Allegiance, it's telling you something. About where you are, where you came from, and who you are. It's important because every time you take out a piece of money and you use that for trading and you use that as an expression or an extension of value to get something else, looking back at you is something that says, in God we trust. What is it saying? Never forget the fact that the free market and your ability to become all that God created you to be was established in truth. We have a government who was born out of the truth of the Creator. Has, imbu- has imbued all men with the right for freedom, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. It's a government that's to support that. It births something called the American dream. The American dream. It's called that for a reason. It's quite amazing it's called the American dream because you've never heard of the Venezuelan dream, have you? Didn't hear about the Cuban dream. It's important. It's important because it speaks about the history. It speaks about the fundamentals. What it says is, you know what? It doesn't matter where you are. It doesn't matter where you came from. It doesn't matter what your history has been. Everybody has the opportunity to move forward into success. It means that we build a society and we build a social structure that embraces advancement for people. And that's what it does. Did you know? Despite what everybody tells you, 70% of the richest people in America came about as a result of social advancement. 70%. Don't tell me it's not alive. It's alive and it's moving and it's happening. It's creating opportunity for people. It's not to say everybody's going to be a millionaire. What it's saying is you can better your life. You can choose how you want to do it. But it doesn't just happen. It comes about not by chance, but because you recognize that and because you're committed and you're dedicated to it. Because you understand that it's going to require of you the ability to take risk. It's going to require you that you're going to have to have grit. It's going to require work and dedication and commitment so that I can get in and I can make something happen. There is a place in our social structure to always take consideration of people who find themselves in tough places. And that's important because everybody's going to go through hard times. And when you go through hard times, you need to know that there's a hand there that's going to reach in and sit and say, hey, it may be tough right now, but you know what? We can help you through that. We can pull you out of that ditch. We'll get you to the other side. The point is it's a helping hand. It's not an opportunity to live in the hole. When anytime you get anything free, despite what anybody says, it doesn't exist. Somebody's paying for that. 
When you live off handouts, should I tell you something? Your neighbors are paying for you. Everybody, I've never known a nation as generous as Americans. They're an incredibly generous people. And let me tell you, Americans are more than happy to come to the party and do what's necessary to sit and say, we see somebody in need. How do we help that person? Don't take advantage of it. There's no place to live off that. It's a helping hand because the opportunity is being created for you to get a kick in the butt to sit and say, God never leave, left me to be a leech. He created me to do something with my life. It's about the land of the free and the home of the brave. Yes, you have freedom. Yes, it's an opportunity. Yes, it's a privilege. It was birthed from a fundamental belief in truth. But what we make of it is up to us. The people who succeed most in freedom are pioneers. And we find ourselves in an interesting predicament at the moment because life changes and people change and society changes. There was an innocence about things years ago. People used to have underage drinking and people used to dabble with drugs and people had premarital sex and your parents always say to you it's so bad and look what society is happening look what's going on and it's nothing like when I was growing up and there's probably a lot of validity to it the point is this I'm not I don't mean to take away from that but what I would like for you to understand is this those things are taking advantage of the liberties that have been extended to you the challenge we face nowadays is an attack on the fundamentals There's a difference between not recognizing and abusing the privileges that have been extended to who we are as opposed to an attack on the truths that establish this nation. You see, the fruit that it produces is a direct result of the root. The reason that this nation has been the most prosperous nation this world has ever known, the most successful, the most blessed this nation, this world has ever known, is because it was established on godly principles. It doesn't mean everybody in the nation is godly, but it means the fundamentals of this nation are strong. And it can tolerate people who even abuse that. The problem is this. When you take away the root, you can affect the fruit. You can fiddle up here and play in the fruit all you want. It may not be ideal. We may not like it. It may harm and damage a bit of fruit. But when you start playing with the root, that's when you eliminate the fruit. I believe that the most dangerous thing that America faces today is an attack by secularism. Secularism is the idea that We do not need God to inform our economy. We don't need God to inform our society. We don't need God as the moral foundation to things. What we want to do is we want to replace all of those things with government. Government can do that. You see, the problem with God is that God doesn't fit our mold of contemporary society. 
You see, God doesn't understand certain things. But as government, we do understand what people want. So we'll make the adjustments to accommodate. When you start messing with the root, you're going to affect the fruit. The challenge is, it never comes in the guise of secularism. It starts presenting itself as very enticing fruit. Who needs a free market economy? Because you're struggling and your life is hard and things are easy. And look at all of those people who've worked really hard and have been successful. Wouldn't it be better if they took some of what they had and gave it to you? It's the socialism thing coming in. And everybody who doesn't have has a look at it and goes, that's really appealing. They have too much. I don't have enough. Give it to me. Think about the principle. The principle is this. God created free market. What you put into things, you should be able to bear and enjoy the benefits and the fruit of your labor. And should I tell you something? Some of the wealthiest people in this country are the most generous people ever. Ever. I'm not, here, I'm not one of the rich people of the world. <laughs> I'm talking about the principle. Because I'll tell you what's inherently dangerous. Is that in the minute you let socialism in, you allow the government to come in and the government starts saying, Oh, you earn too much money. You shouldn't, um, are you really worth that? How is it that you providing jobs and employment for 325,000 people are earning 10 times the salary of this person who hands the mail around? We need to make it all equitable. The minute the government comes in and starts telling you how much you can earn, when you should earn it, what you should do with it, what you should spend it on, how much you need to de- dedicate and, and give to everybody else. It's a dangerous precedent. It's, it's really appealing if it's taking from everybody else and giving to you. <laughs> it's not all that exciting when you get into it and realize, hold on, I have to be a contributor to this. It takes away God's freedom that he's given you to enjoy the liberty to make of your life what you want. It takes away the freedom that you have to go and enjoy the pleasures and the fruits of your labor. It gets deeper. It starts attacking us socially. We don't really want God to start informing our moral fabric. Because, you know, that's something that equates to objective truth. And we like the idea of subjective truth. Everybody can decide what they would like to be. Well, that creates a whole plethora of issues. Life is hard for some people. Everybody has their challenges. And I want you to know something. There are people who seriously struggle with their identity and try to discover who they are. And they're trying to walk into that and they're trying to give definition to it. And I feel for those people. It may not be a struggle you have, but you have your own struggles. The point of it is this. I have to tell you, in clear conscience, there is truth. And I can indulge you and let you go any way you want. And I think that that's God's prerogative. He gives you the right to choose any way that you would like to go. The point of it is, what I will tell you is this, there is a way called truth. And when we step away from truth, we always compromise the outcome. 
the challenge that we have is that what's ended up in, what has ended up happening is that people have been given civil liberties to be able to go and to experience life so that they can come to a point where they can start to define who they want to be. And that's scriptural. God gives it to everybody. He's given to each man a free will. There's no problem with that. The problem with it is we want to take the outcomes from everybody and use that to redefine truth. That's where it becomes problematic. Suddenly it's like, well, there is no such a thing as truth, male and female. Now we need to embrace 14 different genders and some people who don't even have one. That's where it becomes problematic. Because if it becomes subjective truth, who's to say where the line is? Well, I'm retiring tomorrow and I'm claiming social security. Well, you're not old enough, but I feel like I am. (laughs) Do you know what I'm saying? When you step across the line and you step into subjective truth, who's to sit and say where the line is and isn't? Oh, well, it only extends to gender. Aha! So now all of a sudden, you're putting parameters on it. There is a reason that truth exists. Because when you start playing with truth and you move outside of truth, it can go in any direction. And who are you going to put in there to start governing and discerning where truth should be? Government? We need government. What ends up happening is we want to take away the truth that we honor life. And so we have a government that says, you know what? It's all about women's rights. It's a nice way of cloaking the reality that it's all about killing babies. There is a war that's currently taking place in America. And the war that's taking place in America is a spiritual war. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. And I want you to know, what's looking to come in is a different way of reestablishing what America is all about and what it's established on. In Acts chapter 2, Jesus told a whole bunch of people, to go to the upper room and to wait in the upper room. They got to the upper room and they were praying and the Holy Spirit came upon them and anointed them, baptized them and they had an encounter with God. It changed who they were and it introduced them to power. The point is, the reason that that happened was with purpose. It just wasn't an indulgent moment. The reason that all of that happened was because of the Great Commission. Go. I haven't got time to read it for you, but it's it's in Matthew chapter 5. Go. That's the whole point. The reason that the church exists is to go. The problem with the modern day church and what we have is we've become an insular society where we welcome people in and people are so excited to come in and we love the praise and we love the worship and we get very excited about that. And we're thrilled about the idea that we get to enjoy community in that context. And we're very happy that we get a good message that's challenging and takes us to different places. And we celebrate all of those things and then we go outside and live our lives. The point is, the reason that you have revelation and the reason that you have an empowering is for transformation. Not only of you, but to have influence in the world. You weren't born at this time by accident. You were born at this time specifically with purpose for a reason. What is your reason? 
As a church, we're not to just come in here anymore. We have a world that's sitting outside that is devoid of truth in many areas. And as a result of that, they're not sure which way to go. We have a responsibility. Go. Take truth to people. We have a responsibility to make our voices heard. Not as Republicans, not as Democrats, not as every, everybody's got their pet thing that they love, that they vote on. Everybody does. This is, they have other things, but they kind of have pet stuff. You know, my, my pet thing is save the trees. You know, it's like that's, well, global warming's my big thing. You know, your thing, I don't know what your thing is in your life. Everybody has their big thing that they, that they really promote. What I'm suggesting to you is this. I think that there is a place to take where you are and to elevate it. And look at things from a macro point of view. And sit and say, you know what? There are only two parties. So you take a pick. Whoever's running, look at the two candidates. Don't listen to what the other candidates tell you about them. They're going to misrepresent them. Go and explore for yourself. Think about this. When the Pharisees decided to get Jesus crucified, how did they do it? They needed to get the support of the masses. So what did they do? They took Jesus and they put him up on trial and they misrepresented who he was and what he was all about. They misrepresented him to the people and the people said, well, that's not right. Let's kill him. Let's crucify him. Our politics isn't any different. And I don't care what side of the aisle you're on. It's the same thing. If you've got nothing to offer, you assassinate the person. And you use misrepresentation. The only people more untruthful than politicians are the media. Sorry to have to say, I wish it wasn't the case, but it is. What I'm telling you is this. I'm not here to tell you how to vote. That's not my job. My job is to tell you what I believe that the Holy Spirit is telling me as truth for you. What I'm imploring you to do is to do some homework. Go to the candidate's website and you read it for yourself. Don't listen to what anybody else tells you about them because they will misrepresent it because they want you to vote their way. The media has a bias. They want you to vote their way. Go and explore for yourself. Look at it and put it down and sit and say, if I vote for this candidate, this is what I'm getting. Not my favorite thing. They're going to save the one tree in in Union Square. Look at the big thing. Look at the big picture. Where Where is this party going? This is what they believe. Bang, 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 bang. This, in a nutshell, is if I was to sit and synthesize that, and I was to sit and say, in essence, what is this party all about and where are they going? Bang, that's that. This is this candidate, and this candidate stands for this, this, this. If I was to sum up what that is and what they would introduce, it would be this. Now that you've got the two things, have a look at them, not from your own perspective, but as a citizen of the kingdom. You're here to have kingdom influence. If Jesus was standing in your shoes, what would he say? I want you to vote what? That's the way you go. The church has failed in many ways. Because the church has ended up producing a whole bunch of really good religious people. But we haven't produced strong citizens of the kingdom. What I mean by that is, you know what? 
They're not established in truth. And when you're not established in truth, you're vulnerable to deception. The devil goes around as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may. You have to be established in truth. Let me give you one example of that. One of the worst areas for confusion in the church is love. There is a distorted view of love. I need to embrace every. If I was loving, I would embrace everybody. If I was loving, I would be tolerant and accepting of everything. That's not what love is. Ask Jesus when he turned over the tables. What is he saying? Jesus was saying, the reason I'm upset at you is not because of the fact that, that I'm not loving The reason I'm upset with you is because you're living outside of truth and you're acting outside of what you should be doing. And what I'm telling you is that there's a consequence to that. Loving sits and says, you know what? I love you so much. I really do. And I'm going to be with you. And you know what? Whoever you are and whatever path you are and whatever your journey might be and whatever your struggles are currently, I'm with you through them. And I will be here and I will never leave you. I want you to know that. And I applaud you and let's go somewhere with it. And if you want to make some inputs, if you want me to make some inputs into your life, I'm more than happy to do that. But I'm not going to embrace this because that's not true. I can't do that because I wouldn't be a good friend to you. What I'm telling you is if I was to embrace that, I would take you down an avenue that's not going to lead you to life. Sometimes love roars. And when love roars, sometimes the church goes, well, that's just not loving. It is. Government was never designed to change people's lives, and it's not capable of doing so. Government may be able to limit immorality through legislation, but it cannot change a person's heart. If we don't have the church... In society, you've taken out the opportunity to touch and influence people at their core. We have a role to play. And it's a very significant role. I believe that God is beginning to move through the church in America. And I think he's stirring some stuff up. And I think it's a good thing. I can't speak for other people because they're not part of our family. But I can tell you, for our family... There comes a place, and this is the time, where we have to take who we are and what we're about. And we have to start introducing influence to our world. Northern Virginia will be saved. Northern Virginia extends into D.C. People who work there live here. We're not here by accident. You're not at your job by accident. You're not where you are by accident. You're in a place where you have the prerogative and and, and the opportunity to have influence. This country was established and the core truths that define what this country is all about are grounded and rooted in godly biblical truth. It gives you the prerogative to be what you want to be in the belief that you will ultimately recognize and come back to truth. But those roots are what are responsible for defining what the country looks like today and for the fruit that it produces. If the church doesn't step into its role 
and doesn't move into it in an appropriate way, we run the risk of losing the root. It's happened to other nations. My encouragement to you is this. Fantastic things happen when we listen to God. When you have the life of God on the inside of you, all things are possible. A group of, they ended up, started off at just over 100 and ended up just less than 50. But they birthed a new nation. They birthed a new nation. Not only a new nation, but a nation that the rest of the world is envious of. A nation that the rest of the world has a look at and says, you know what, we wish we had that. God wants to do incredible things through you. Don't limit him. We're here to have influence. There is legacy that's important and legacy that's at play.